Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Jim Cahoy from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test and focus interview. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, we will be discussing our mitochondrial testing with Dr. Linda Hasadri. But before we get started, Dr. Hasadri, could you provide us with a little bit about you and your background? Sure. I'm Linda Hasatri, and I'm the director of the Molecular Technologies Laboratory here at Mayo Clinic in the Division of Laboratory Genetics and Genomics. And I'm actually a genetic counselor, a physician, and a PhD, um, and I'm board certified in both clinical molecular genetics and clinical biochemical genetics. And one of my areas of expertise is the laboratory diagnosis of mitochondrial diseases. And this has actually been a passion of mine for over two decades now. Ever since I was a practicing genetic counselor involved in the clinical management of these patients, and then as a researcher in neurodegenerative diseases, and now as a laboratory diagnostician too. And so these are a unique and surprisingly not all that uncommon group of disorders. Um, approximately one in 200 adults actually carries a mutation in their mitochondrial DNA that could develop into a disease. Even though they're not all that uncommon, they can have a really highly variable clinical presentation, even within the same family. And so the workup of these patients can actually be quite challenging, and they often end up becoming, unfortunately, diagnostic odyssey cases. And so mito patients, at least in the Mayo experience, have to wait an average of approximately 12 years before they finally receive a diagnosis. And they've seen on average six different specialists at multiple different medical centers before they finally encounter one who thinks of the possibility of mitochondrial disease. And so one of my ongoing lifelong goals has actually been to help end those diagnostic odysseys by raising awareness of mitochondrial diseases and by helping to guide genetic counselors, physicians, and other healthcare providers towards the appropriate testing for mitochondrial diseases. Well, thank you, Dr. Sadri. And actually, you, you just answered my second question as well, which is just to tell us a, a brief overview of the mitochondrial genetic testings offering. Um, you know, Dr. Sandy, one detail I'd like to ask you about regarding our offerings, can you differentiate a little bit between what we offer from a molecular standpoint and what we offer from a biochemical genetic standpoint in terms of mitochondrial testing? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So Mayo Clinic Laboratories is truly exceptional in that it offers a full suite of both biochemical and molecular testing for mitochondrial diseases all under one roof. And so um, the initial laboratory work of a patient with a suspected mitochondriopathy, for instance, might include um, quick and inexpensive biochemical screening tests, which we offer all flavors of, um, including things like uh, GDF15. Um, this is a biomarker that is often grossly elevated in mito patients, particularly those with a condition known as MALAS. 
urine organic acids, plasma acylcarnitines, plasma amino acids. Um, these might have a telltale pattern in certain patients, um, and you could supplement them right away if they have that pattern in there, um, and coenzyme Q10 levels. So those are just a few examples of the biochemical tests that we offer here that could be useful in the workup um, and further evaluation of these patients. And so if any of these biochemical tests are abnormal, one could then proceed toward having additional molecular testing to then confirm the diagnosis in those patients. So in terms of molecular testing, we currently offer three options. Um, these are the test codes MITO-P, MITO-N, and MITO-T. MITO-P is analysis of the full mitochondrial genome by next generation sequencing. So all 16,000 kilobases of the mitochondrial genome is what we're looking at with that. And remember, this is different from the nuclear genome in that it's, of course, not located in the nucleus. It's located inside the mitochondria. Um, the reason why I point this out is because people often forget that we actually have two genomes, not just one. And whereas each one of our cells has only one nucleus, um, it has hundreds to thousands of mitochondria and therefore um, hundreds to thousands of copies of mitochondrial DNA. And this is important to note because um, having multiple different copies of mitochondrial DNA leads to a phenomenon known as heteroplasmy, where you can have a different mutation present at different mutation loads in different tissues throughout the body. As a result of this, not all tissues or organ systems um, can be affected equally in mito patients. Therefore, sometimes testing only in blood or urine or a particular specimen type might not yield a diagnosis, and you'll actually have to test a different specimen type, like a muscle biopsy, in order to finally pick up the disease-causing variant in that patient and or family. And we offer our molecular testing on all of these different specimen types. In addition to MITO-P, which again is sequencing of the entire mitochondrial genome, we also offer a test called MITO-N, which analyzes over 170 different nuclear genes that are important for mitochondrial function. And that test is also by Next Generation Sequencing, or NGS. And then finally, um, our MITO-T test is a combined orderable that includes both MITO-P and MITO-N. So that test is for the provider who just wants to throw the entire kitchen sink at their patient and, and have them have the most uh, comprehensive molecular testing possible all in one fell swoop. Thank you, Dr. Hasadri. That was very comprehensive. So let me follow that up by asking you to go a little more into detail about when you would utilize this mitochondrial testing and what kind of patient treatment is this kind of testing guide? How is this utilized in terms of uh, the way the patient is treated? It's a great question. So these tests should be ordered for any patient who you suspect of having mitochondrial disease. But unfortunately, because the differential diagnosis for mitochondrial disease is so broad, these patients can literally present as anything and everything. And they often, like I mentioned previously, present differently, even amongst members of the same family. This can be difficult to determine. So um, it's almost like just order it on everybody because you never know. So um, to be safe, you know, either rule in or rule out. But in general, mitochondrial diseases tend to present with neurological or muscular symptoms in particular, combined combined with one or more symptoms in other organ systems, such as um, cardiovascular endocrine. And so like a stereotypical MALAS patient, I mentioned this disorder earlier, um, MALAS actually stands for um, mitochondrial encephalopathy, 
lactic acidosis and stroke-like episodes. And it's actually one of the most common mitochondrial diseases that we encounter and diagnose. Um, a patient with MALAS, for instance, might present with a history of strokes of unknown etiology or developmental delay, but that will be combined with something else like sensory and neural hearing loss and diabetes. So again, um, patients that have sort of this broad or non-specific set of symptoms that are affecting multiple different organ systems, those are the ones that um, are typically highest yield for the, the testing or who you'd want to pursue the testing for. Bear in mind that these patients will often present atypically, so it's not uncommon for some of them to start off with just only one organ system affected, like um, neurological disease of some sort, and they'll be that way for a number of years before another system is then affected. And then all of a sudden, uh, mito might be on your radar, but again, keep it on your radar in those cases. And a lot of these patients, um, in addition to being atypical, they can be oligosymptomatic too at the onset of their disease. Again, for those that seem to have general or vague symptoms that impact multiple organ systems, like myopathy combined with, say, end-stage renal disease of unknown etiology, uh, where you've ruled out the more common causes of those conditions, um, you should definitely consider ordering um, MitoP and or MitoN or MitoT or any of our biochemical screens um, if you're on the fence about whether to go for the molecular testing. All right. Thank you, Dr. Asadri. So let me ask you a follow-up to all you've said here. How does the testing that Mayo Clinic Lab offers in terms of mitochondrial differ from what other labs are offering right now in the same area? So in addition to having a truly comprehensive menu of both biochemical and molecular testing, um, like I previously mentioned, that full comprehensive menu is something that you won't find anywhere else in the world, um, especially not under all under one roof like we have here. We really stand out in terms of our molecular testing. And so our molecular tests have actually been informed by and continue to be um, assisted by experts in the field, uh, including actual clinicians who specialize in the evaluation and treatment of patients with mitochondrial disorders. And our testing had to meet their rigorous standards and needs. And so we've really developed what they and many, many other external providers consider to be um, the best mitochondrial testing in the world. And so for the molecular tests, uh, we use custom-designed sequencing reagents that have at least equal to, but in most cases, far greater um, coverage of our genomic regions of interest um, in the nuclear genome, as well as, of course, the, the full mitochondrial genome. And our coverage is more specific and uniform. And so that ensures more accurate calling of mutations, including copy number variants, like large deletions. And then um, we have more accurate determination of heteroplasmy or mutation load, like I mentioned earlier, um, that important phenomenon where you can have a mutation present at different levels in different tissues of the body. And so whenever we detect, for instance, a large mitochondrial DNA deletion by NGS, we determine its heteroplasmy using a method called droplet digital PCR, or DDPCR for short. And we are the first and only lab that I know of in the world that utilizes this technology for this purpose. And it's the only methodology that is truly quantitative in determining heteroplasmy rather than qualitative or semi-quantitative. Other labs, as far as I'm aware, are using um, those more qualitative methods, such as qPCR or even Southern blot, which is a much older technique, 
these aren't nearly as accurate and precise as DDPCR. And so the data from those methods can oftentimes be unreliable or even worse, it can result in false positives and false negatives. And so our lab has actually seen a number of cases like this where the patient didn't quite fit clinically what the laboratory report was saying. And so testing was then sent to us by a clinician or another clinician for that patient or even by another lab. And we were able to clarify that result for that patient. And so we, we pride ourselves on being able to arrive at the correct and final answer for those individuals. Accurate and sensitive determination of heteroplasmy is incredibly important, not just diagnostically, but also for clinical management and prognostication in these patients. Um, because other labs, again, are using these more relative or semi-quantitative techniques for measuring this, they might not even report heteroplasmy for large deletions, for instance, or they may only report a statement about it, such as, quote unquote, high heteroplasmy or low heteroplasmy, and that's it. That's all you get. And so... In those cases, what does high or low actually mean for that particular patient? You know, is 25% heteroplasmy for mutation considered high? Is it considered low? We don't actually know because that's all the lab is giving you. But it's important to know that number because 25% heteroplasmy for a large mitochondrial DNA deletion in blood could mean and actually would normally mean a vastly earlier disease onset and a much more rapid progression in a patient than say a 50% heteroplasmy level for that exact same deletion in, in muscle only. And so again, it's really critical to have that number and to have it be accurate in order for it to be meaningful and actionable. Thank you. I, you know, I get so excited whenever we talk about, you know, the DDPCR technology and just how that fits in with our mitochondria. I think that's very exciting what we're doing with that. You know, so Dr. Hasadri, I have to be honest, you've, you've answered all of my questions today, and I normally don't like to end with this kind of open-ended question, but just because mitochondrial is such a, a complicated topic, I'm wondering, is there anything you can think of that you would want to add to all of this or anything you think that we, we've left out? I think you've been very comprehensive, but I just wanted to end with that and just see if there was anything else that you wanted to say. Sure. So actually you had asked earlier, how are the results of this testing used in patient care? So I apologize. I didn't actually answer that portion of your question earlier. Oh, okay. I'll swing back around to now answer that. So how is this testing important for patient care? So a number of mitochondriopathies are actually treatable. And so a timely diagnosis in those cases can really change the entire clinical course for a patient and their family. In addition to providing them with uh, an answer, a diagnosis of mitochondrial disease can help again with prognostication, with family planning, um, et cetera. And so for many patients, um, just simply having that answer for what's been ailing them has been the biggest relief. Um, like I've mentioned before, um, the average male mitochondrial disease patient has been on a diagnostic odyssey for 12 years and seen at least six different physicians in various subspecialties before they finally got that answer. Imagine what a tremendous burden that is on our healthcare system. And additionally, and more importantly, the psychosocial and economic cost to that patient of having to be on that diagnostic odyssey. During the course of that diagnostic odyssey, many of these patients have been unfortunately misdiagnosed um, and therefore mistreated as a result of that misdiagnosis or even dismissed altogether because their disease presents so vaguely and nonspecifically 
to finally end those diagnostic odysseys and give an answer to those patients, hopefully one that's actionable and or treatable um, is the ultimate accomplishment and the goal of our testing here at Mayo. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much for uh, telling us that, Dr. Sadri. Thank you so much for being with us today and talking about our mitochondrial testing. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.